I, I actually attended a Christian college like Asbury University, and it was a great experience for me because I learned a lot about God. I learned a lot about the Bible. I learned a lot about the church, the world. Um, I learned how to think Christianly. Some of you at Asbury now are like, no, you're mentioning worldview. Yes, I just did in church, okay? Um, the bigger questions of life, what's real and true, those kinds of things. And I met my Jenna. okay? And so, so college was good. But while I was there, while I was there, I had this nagging sense that I needed to do more. I needed to, I know, based on what I said last week, you're like, what, are you crazy? But it was, so you're there, and, and people stood up, and, you know, you should be reading your Bibles. You should pray. You should, you know, Chicago is right there in, the, in your back door. You should be serving in the inner city. And there was this part of me that was like, yeah, I should. <laughs> but, and I, even though I did a lot in college, I didn't go overseas I never went in to do the Saturday stuff in the inner city of Chicago because I was working in the cafeteria, but I felt bad. I was like, oh, I should probably do that. Um, and here's the thing. Because the Bible has a lot in it, I don't know if you've noticed, but it, it, you know, they have to use thin paper for a reason. Okay, There's a lot in there. And it's very easy for Christian pastors and teachers and speakers to give you a set of you shoulds. You should read your Bible more. You should pray more. You should give more. You should definitely show hospitality more. You should share your faith more. And it's a never-ending list of you shoulds, you shoulds. And there's a small group of us that hear that, and we're like, oh, yeah, I should do that, and I'm not, and I'm terrible. If you're like me, I have good news for you today, okay? I do. And here it is in a nutshell. Stop trying to do what God has not asked you to do. Or, the way I like to put it, quit freaking out because you're not Jesus. And I would like to, excl- I would like to explicate that today. Quit freaking out because you're not Jesus, okay? In my early days as a pastor, I had a woman who served in the ministry that I was in charge of. And she had been abused as a child. She was in a relationship with a man who was emotionally cut off from her. It was a r- rough relationship. Um, and uh, he would tell her all the time, you know what your problem is? You're crazy, which is great for her self-esteem. And she came to me and she asked if we could start meeting. And she, uh, she said this caveat. She said, you know, the previous three pastors I've had have let me down. And I thought, you know what? I can help. I'll be different. But I wasn't old enough and wise enough to know that that was like one of those giant flag things. Like if three other pastors had failed, there's probably a good chance that I was going to fail too, you know. But I was like, you know, I'll be different. And so I met with her for a year, a year, and there was no change and no progress. On the upside, years later, she said to me, you know, you were the only pastor to really listen to me. Like, well, there's a win. <laughs> okay. That was a turning point for me as a pastor because I realized I can't fix everything. I can't necessarily help everyone. There are actually limits to what I can do. And the truth is, I'm not Jesus. And that's okay. And I want to share with you so there's a certain pocket of you today that need to hear this message. Trust me, you need to hear this message. And we're going to peer into the life of a man who knew and understood. I am not Jesus. 
And we're going to look at this snapshot in his life in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to recognize that there are different types of groups of people here and that are going to be listening. The first group, you're like me, and you're already, you're like, yes, I already do things for God, and then somebody tells me that I should pray more or I should serve overseas, and there's this part of my heart, and I think, wow, I should do that, and I'm not. I'm a lousy Christian. I'm a lousy Jesus follower. I've got good news for you. There's another group of people who are use that phrase, I'm not Jesus, but they use it kind of as an excuse not to do anything. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm not God. It's not like I can be generous. You know, I can't get to the food pantry. Are you kidding me? It's like all the way in Nicholasville or a long list of things. I have some questions that I want to ask you later on, so hang with me through the message. I have some questions that 10 years from now, you'll thank me for asking. And then there's another group of people that uh, think this, well, look, All this should, should pray more, should read Bible more. Look, there's kind of two levels to Christianity. There's like super Christians and then the rest of us. I'm just a normal Christian. I'm not a super Christian. And I would like to suggest to you that no, there's no categories. There's no true track, two-tier thing. And again, hang with me. So one man in the first century totally got that he was not Jesus. His name was John. He had a Uh, an epithet thrown at him. He was John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. And we're going to look into something that happened in his life, and it's recorded in the Gospel of John, written by a completely different person, same first name, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And we're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. John the Baptist had been born to parents who were older in life. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. They were past childbearing age. And when Zechariah was serving in the temple, an angel appeared to him and struck him dumb. He couldn't speak. He could only motion. And and when his son was, so when he came out, everybody knew, whoa, something happened in the temple. You had a vision, didn't you? You know, and he's trying to, but he can't speak. So people knew God's up to something. God's going to do something special. God's hand is on this baby in, in, in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. And so... Uh, the baby is born, and he can speak again, and he says, his name is John. And so all growing up, people were watching this little boy. What's God going to do? This is something big. This is something special. God's hand on him is is on a unique way. And he starts baptizing people in the Jordan River and in other places, in some springs, and he does a baptism of repentance. And people are flocking to hear him speak for God. And that's where we pick it up, John chapter 3, verses 22 and following. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. So John the Baptist was actually so popular that even after Jesus' resurrection from the dead... There was a group of people that were like, we believe John speaks for God, but this Jesus from Nazareth, nope, not buying it. And, and they, they were in places like Ephesus. You can read about them in Acts chapter 19. So, so John, you know, people, yes, the hand of God is on John the Baptist, you know, and people recognize that. And so 
John's baptizing, and Jesus is in the same area also baptizing. Now, here's something you should know. Jesus himself didn't baptize anyone. It was his disciples who did it. We know that from church tradition, and we also know that because of some things that cropped up in the church later on. If you had actually been baptized by Jesus himself, it would have been like a sneech in a star. Oh, you got baptized by Paul? Guess what? I was baptized by the Lord himself. Not that people roll that way. I'm just saying people roll that way. And so, so, so Jesus' disciples are doing the baptizing, and, there's, and they knew each other. They were cousins, and they were working together. And John's disciples knew Jesus' disciples. Some of John's disciples actually became Jesus' disciples. So there's this interchange in this play. But I want to focus on verse 26 where they say, Rabbi. The man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. Okay? They're not happy because Jesus is becoming more popular than their rabbi. And it's freaking them out. So John launches into a response to this criticism. And what does John the Baptist say? And that's verse 27 and following. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. You stop right there. There is a phrase that some of us need to look in the mirror and say regularly. I am not the Messiah. You can say that with me right now. I am not the Messiah. And this is very good news. Okay? So John says, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So John the Baptist, who was a rock star, who had the hand of God clearly on him from birth, Flocks of people had come to him to submit to his baptism and hear his teaching. If anyone was going to develop a Messiah complex, it would have been John the Baptist, right? To go, yeah, I speak for God, don't I? And he doesn't. He's given the opportunity and he says, I'm not the one. I'm not the one you've been waiting for. I'm not the Messiah. And he uses a a wedding analogy that's still true today. On the wedding day, the rock stars of the wedding are typically the bride and groom. They get special treatment. At the reception, there's usually this weird, awkward DJ that does this series of introductions, and everybody doesn't like that part anyway. And so the focus is on the bride and groom. If you're a groomsman or a bridesmaid, you're kind of there for the pictures, right? (laughs) And John... The Baptist is saying this. It was true 2,000 years ago. And he's saying, I'm not the focus of the party. I'm not the Messiah. Now, for those of you that have my personality disposition, here's what this means. You're going to hear things like, there's a sex trafficking problem. There are people who don't have water, drinking water, that they could drink. And you're using those bottles and throwing them away. And you should totally do something different and make sure that some of the water that you're using is actually helping to build wells in those places that they need really drinking water. And you can feel this pressure on your heart and your spirit that you're not doing enough. I have good news for you. You are not the Messiah. And that's okay. Quit freaking out that you're not Jesus. Now, some of you use that as an excuse. I'm not the Messiah. And it's a, look, 
I can't do anything to help you right now. I can't be inconvenienced. I can't have my life curtailed in any way because, look, I'm not God. That's an excuse, and that's a little different, and I'll get into that in a moment. You're missing something. Well, let's finish out the text here. John chapter 3, and it'll be verses 31 to the end. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things. But he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard and how few believe uh, what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. So in this lengthy passage, John, the writer of the gospel, is kind of uh, paraphrasing and summarizing some things that he's learned from John the Baptist's statement. And he's saying, look, Jesus comes from above. Truth is revealed. You don't just logically get your way to it. God reveals himself. And then you sign on and you say yes. And there's this testimony of the Spirit. And it acknowledges that yes. So John is saying, look, all the signs point to the fact that, yep, Jesus is the one. He's it. He's, he's the person in the middle of the spotlight. He's the one everybody was waiting for within Judaism. He's the Messiah. And yep, he's from God. And so anyone who believes God's Son has life, um, and that's good news too, all right? So let me kind of unpack this a little bit in a practical way, all right? And I want to speak to those of you that are easily overwhelmed and like me and can sometimes have this, you know, ton of bricks on your head. Remember, you're not Jesus, and that's okay. So here, here are some ways that'll play out for you. First and foremost, care is not the same as do. We can, we can and should care about things. Maybe it's sex trafficking. Maybe it's all those wells that need to be built in places on planet Earth so people can have clean drinking water. Maybe it's the kids down the block. I don't know what it is, but we can care because God does care about those things. Caring does not always mean doing. And so you can care about something and have it not necessarily appear in your calendar, and that's okay. The second thing that I, makes that so true is that you're part of the church with a capital C. And within the church, the church can do much and does do much because there's a diversity of gifts, there's a diversity of passion, and, and God will often supply a church the church exactly what the church needs to carry out the church's mission. Let me give you a practical way this plays out. Our church has made a commitment to the Jesmond County Food Pantry. Let's say that you were in a relationship once with somebody who was abusive, and you've just kind of, you got free, and you've worked through your stuff, and you're at a place where you're like, you know what, I don't want other young women to go down that road. And you start volunteering and serving with a ministry here in Jessamine County that does that. And their big night that they do happens to be on food pantry night. Please don't beat yourself up because you're not at the food pantry because you're at that ministry helping women not, you know, get out of, uh, helping them get out of abusive relationships. See what I'm saying? Okay? So we all have different gifts and callings. Here's another practical thing. And I think a lot of 
people that want to please God get tripped up by guilt by not praying for people. So somebody has a need, somebody's going through something, and they say to you, will you pray for me? And you say, yes. And then a week later, you realize, oh, you see them, and you go, I didn't pray for them. I think I'm a loser Christian. You know, okay. So I can always pray right now. I can always pray right now. So use that Use that mantra. Somebody comes to you with a need, pray for them right then and there, right then. Trust God. If God brings it to your mind and to your attention or you write it down and you think to pray again later, great. But if you don't, you've prayed and you're trusting God to do what God can do and go on. It's okay, all right? So again, stop trying to do what God has not asked you to do and quit freaking out because you're not Jesus. It's okay. There's one Jesus. Now, I want to talk to some other groups of people for a minute. One group of people is, if you're honest, you're not busy at all. This entire series, you're like, you know, I come home at night. I mean, some nights I hang out with my friends. Some other nights I binge watch Netflix. I mean, I've got large chunks of discretionary time. Busyness is not something that's part of me. And you're healthy and you don't have any health issues dogging you. I want to ask this simple question. And I want to make sure I get my question right. Where in your life are you setting aside your needs, your wants, and your happiness for someone else? And if the answer is there isn't, I would like to suggest to you that following Jesus means that there, there will be, all right? So the second group of people I want to talk about, there's some of you that you would say, yes, I am very busy. I mean, we're on the run all the time. We barely have a chance to get dinner. We're going to soccer, and then we've got commitments, and then there's school stuff, and then there's, you know, Cub Scouts, and there's all this stuff, and it's boom. You know, we live in the van. Let me ask this question of you. What percentage of your waking hours are you about God's kingdom or about the things that Jesus cares about? What percentage? Is it an evening a month? Is it an evening every three months? Whatever that number is, all the, the only question I ask is, are you okay with that number? That's it. Are you okay with that? Would you like to adjust that? Here's the good news. John the Baptist was right. He's not the Messiah. I'm not either. You're not either. And that's tremendously good news because Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. And in this, what Martin Luther called this glorious exchange, we get in on all the good stuff and we don't have to earn it at all. And Jesus, in looking at us as a good heavenly father, cares more about who we are than what we do. Because that's how good fathers roll. And we see that in John's gospel when, Jesus, when God the, the voice of God the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know what? He says that before the miracles, before the Sermon on the Mount, before <laughs> the crucifixion, before anything. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay? So bottom line for the day, Stop trying to do what God is not expecting you to do and quit freaking out because you're not Jesus. It's okay. I want to invite you to stand, and as a response today, I want us all to collectively together to say this prayer together. And they're going to put the words on the big screen right up there. Boom. Okay, so say this with me. Here we go. We come expectant.
yet humbly before our Heavenly Father, the one who names us the creator of heaven and earth. From your abundance, Father, give us the strength and power of your Holy Spirit, so that Jesus himself might live inside us and through us. With our roots going deep in your love, may your whole church reach out in your power, embracing your endless, fathomless, eternal, perfect love, beyond human knowledge, overflowing to your world. We ask all of this for your glory, to the praise of the immeasurably more God. Go back, go back, go back. No, no. There, immeasurably more God, by your power, through your church, for all generations, into eternity. Amen. All right, you may be seated for a moment. I